In the last episode, we saw the Watchers punished by the Archangels, where they were rounded up, beaten, and were damned to be thrown into the Duodel, a void said to be located deep in the desert of East Jerusalem. Amongst them, the Nephilim, the monstrous offspring of the women impregnated by the Watchers, were also neutralized and coerced into destroying each other. The chaos that had burdened the world courtesy of the Watchers' involvement had now been countervailed by the Archangel's intervention, and mankind appears to have been allowed breathing space from the terrors they had seen. During this time, we are told that the great scribe Enoch had been hidden, and that no one knew where he was, nor what had become of him. But we understand that his activities during this time were to do with the Watchers, as directed to him by God, and that his days in hiding were spent with the Holy Ones, possibly preparing him to confront the fallen angels and eventually read them their judgment. Enoch himself tells us, And I, Enoch, was blessing the Lord of Majesty and the King of the Ages, and lo, the watchers called me Enoch the scribe, and said to me, Enoch, thou scribe of righteousness, go, declare to the watchers of the heaven who have left the high heaven, the holy eternal place, and have defiled themselves with women, and have done as the children of earth do, and have taken unto themselves wives. Ye have wrought great destruction on the earth, and ye shall have no peace nor forgiveness of sin. And inasmuch as they delight themselves in their children, the murder of their beloved ones shall they see, and over the destruction of their children shall they lament and shall make supplication unto eternity, but mercy and peace shall ye not attain. From Enoch's words, we see that it is the Watchers who deem him Enoch the scribe, and there is some idea that they recognized Enoch as an important figure, despite his mortality. It is possible that they realized that God favored Enoch, and conceded that he was something of a conduit to reaching God especially given that they were now damned and had no way of reaching him. We also see God's instruction to Enoch, who tells him to go to the Watchers and tell them that they have brought great destruction upon the earth, and that they will have no peace nor forgiveness for what they have done. With this, we understand God's attitude towards the Watchers, that after their defilement of the women and their teaching of warfare and magic to the mortals, they have now been shunned, and nothing they can ever do will ever see them redeemed. In a way, God washes his hands off the Watchers so entirely that he doesn't even deem them worthy to hear their punishment from himself, so instead sends Enoch, a mortal, to read the angels their fate. It is with this that Enoch rather audaciously approaches the Watchers, without fear, might I add and goes straight for Azazel, telling him, Azazel, thou shalt have no peace. A severe sentence has gone forth against thee to put thee in bonds, and thou shalt not have toleration nor request granted to thee because of the unrighteousness which thou hast taught, and because of all the works of godlessness and unrighteousness and sin which thou hast shown to men. The fact that Enoch demonstrates no fear in this encounter shows us how much faith he has in God, 
for the angel would most certainly have been more powerful than him, and given that he was willing to do such monstrous things, it would not have been above him to strike Enoch and physically harm him. But still, Enoch does not hesitate in his approach of Azazel, and tells him that he will have no peace, that he will be bound, shunned, and have no request granted for the things he has done. With this, Azazel has no recourse, and does not seem to retaliate, but rather accepts Enoch's words in defeat. Then Enoch speaks to all the Watchers, and Enoch tells us that they were all afraid of the judgement he brought upon them, and that each of them were trembling. With this, they begged Enoch to draw up a petition on their behalf, so that they could find forgiveness in God. Evidently, they had seen the error of their ways, and after having seen firsthand the vengeance of the Archangels, they were essentially begging Enoch to convince God to absolve them. It should be noted that they needed Enoch to become this intermediary, because God had now met them with silence, and refused to speak to them. In fact, Enoch details that the Watchers were unable to lift their eyes up to heaven, suggesting that their heads were too heavy with guilt. Enoch tells us, Then I went and spoke to them all together, and they were all afraid, and fear and trembling seized them, and they besought me to draw up a petition for them, that they might find forgiveness, and to read their petition in the presence of the Lord of heaven. For from thenceforward they could not speak with him, nor lift up their eyes to heaven, for shame of their sins for which they had been condemned. But Enoch does actually write out their petition, perhaps a sign of his compassion and sympathy for the Watchers, and tells us that he detailed all of their thoughts and feelings in regards to them seeking forgiveness and redemption. With this, he went off to the waters of Dan, in the land of Dan, in the southwest of Hermon, and he read their petition to God repeatedly until he fell asleep. So with this, we can see that Enoch really does try to be fair to the Watchers, and despite the horrible things they had done, he still tries to commune with God in their favour, and leaves the decision to God, as opposed to damning them himself as God had permitted. After having fallen asleep after reciting this prayer to God, Enoch tells us, And behold, a dream came to me, and visions fell down upon me, and I saw visions of chastisement, and a voice came bidding me to tell it to the sons of heaven, and reprimand them, and when I awakened, I came unto them, and they were all sitting gathered together, weeping in Abel's jail, which is between Lebanon and Senesa, with their faces covered, and I recounted before them all the visions which I had seen in my sleep, and I began to speak the words of righteousness, and to reprimand the heavenly watchers. Here it is believed that Enoch hears the voice of God telling him to reprimand the watchers, these sons of heaven, and that when he awakens, he finds them all gathered together, crying over the events that they had masterminded. Here we see Enoch tell them of what he had seen in his dream, that which he deems was a vision, and speaks the words of righteousness, or perhaps more accurately, the words of God, in order to chastise the Watchers. 
In chapter 14, we see Enoch provide a bit of a recap of the recent events, telling us that God had permitted him to be the one to deliver the judgment of the Watchers, and that whilst he had agreed to write their petition, it was up to God to decide what to do, and decide he did. Enoch reveals to us that their petition was rejected, and that no favour would be granted upon them for all the wicked that they had committed, and henceforth they would not be ascended into heaven, not now and not ever, and that instead they would be bound in the earth, most likely the duodel, as spoken of earlier. Here they would remain for all eternity, in the pits of the underworld, buried under dirt and darkness. There, Enoch continues to tell the Watchers of another vision that affected him, where mist coalesced around him and he was taken up into the clouds. He tells the Watchers that through the power of the wind, he was given the ability to fly, and he soared up to the heavens until he found himself at a wall built of crystals that was surrounded by tongues of fire. And so, Enoch ventured into these tongues of fire, and he tells us, And I went into the tongues of fire, and drew nigh to a large house which was built of crystals. And the walls of the house were like a tessellated floor made of crystals, and its groundwork was of crystal. Its ceiling was like the path of the stars and the lightning, and between them were the fiery cherubim, and their heaven was clear as water. A flaming fire surrounded the walls, and its portals blazed with fire. And I entered into that house, and it was hot as fire and cold as ice. There were no delights of life therein. Fear covered me, and trembling got hold upon me. So as we can gather, Enoch was lifted, or flew in this vision, to heaven. Though it isn't necessarily the heaven that is often portrayed in common beliefs. Instead, this place is a house made of crystals, and interestingly, the vicinity is consumed with tongues of fire. But perhaps one of the most concerning things that Enoch notices is the presence of the cherubim, a winged angel, which is most commonly noted by Ezekiel in the Bible. Naturally, Enoch is terrified of what he sees, and begins to further describe the walls of fire, the blazing portals, and even the hot and cold sensations he experiences in this strange realm. He tells us that there was no delight here, no life, nothing but the trembling of his own self. And as I quaked and trembled, I fell upon my face, and I beheld a vision, and lo, there was a second house, greater than the former, and the entire portal stood open before me, and it was built of flames of fire, and in every respect it so excelled in splendour and magnificence, an extent that I cannot describe to you its splendour and its extent. And its floor was of fire, and above it were lightning and the path of the stars, and its ceiling also was flaming fire, and I looked and I saw therein a lofty throne, its appearance was as crystal, and the wheels thereof as the shining sun, and there was the vision of cherubim. Here, Enoch continues to describe his newfound environment, telling us 
that a new house emerged, one that was so magnificent that there were no words that could do it justice. Yet again, the structure was consumed with fire and lightning, and stars strode across from above. Within the house, Enoch spots a lofty crystal throne, that which has wheels of the shining sun. These wheels might be linked to the whirling wheels as seen by Ezekiel, those otherwise known as the Ophanim, which were sometimes considered to be the wheels of God's chariot. The fact that they also appear here, in Enoch's vision, alongside the cherubim no less, is strikingly similar to Ezekiel's vision, where similar wheels are also seen. Enoch continues, And from underneath the throne came streams of flaming fire, so that I could not look thereon, and the great glory sat thereon, and his raiment shone more brightly than the sun, and was whiter than any snow. None of the angels could enter and could behold his face by reason of the magnificence and glory, and no flesh could behold him. The flaming fire round about him, and a great fire stood before him, and none could draw nigh. Him, ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him, yet he needed no counsellor. And the most holy ones who were nigh to him did not leave by night nor depart from him. It is with this that we realise that Enoch actually sees God, or at least gets a glimpse of him, for he describes him as being a radiant light that shines more brightly than the sun, so bright that he cannot gaze upon it himself. He also declares that none of the cherubim who were present were able to get near this light either, and that none who were present could behold him. Enoch continues, that he'd already been prostrate on his face by the time he'd even realised God was present, and that the Lord did call to him, telling him, Come hither, Enoch, and hear my word. With that, one of the cherubim interrupted his prostration, and guided him to the door where the Lord was seated. In the next episode, we'll be taking a look at Enoch's meeting with God, and we are able to understand some more interesting thoughts that God holds towards the Watchers, including his bafflement as to why they would even trade heaven for earth, why they had fornicated with the women at all, and his utter disgust towards the Nephilim, those which he deems as the most evil of spirits. <laughs>